Okay. I thought I'd go back to the old. You know, when you look at us on screen, you realize our shirts look, they look more like they match really closely on screen than they do in person. Yeah, in Everybody. real life, mine's real nice and his is like a kind Ugh. of raggedy. Mine's hey, kind of that medium. is the greatest comment we've ever received <laughs> yeah. on Theology Ryan Thursday. says, what up? Four minutes till Simon and Garfunkel take the stage. <laughs> Which one's Garfunkel? Oh, clearly me. Art Garfunkel is like 100 feet tall. Is he? Yeah. But he has a full head of hair. That's I was going to say, which was true. the dude with the... Paul Simon is kind of like an unassuming little dude who has like short, normal hair. Art Garfunkel has both of our identifiable characteristics. He's super tall, but has like really... Dr- he has like kind of a red fro though. Now right? they, they wrote uh, Hello Darkness, right? Oh yeah. But that's a good song. It's a good song. Supposedly, the legend behind it is is that that dude was he was still young. He's either at college in college or something, and he like the the power went out or something, and he's in a bathroom in the dark, and he wrote that song. Dang, it's pretty heavy stuff. I don't know if I, I think that's true, Kevin. You can fact check that on the side. Yeah, Kevin, you want to fact check? Uh, Ryan says thank you. Look at their early pictures; they kind of look like you. So, Ryan, can you confirm for us which one of us is Paul Simon and which one of us is Art Garfunkel? You know, we had two guys um, in our church, um, and and they're still around; they're still Christians in the area. But do you remember this? They they were both named Jeff, um, both excellent musicians, and they rocked Simon and Garfunkel, and they songs. looked like them a lot, and they rocked Simon and Garfunkel songs. I just so remember the songs being really, really good. He's looking it up right now. Yeah, we're gonna story find behind out. Hello Darkness. Behind the sound of silence. Oh we, my goodness, Drew Dowler's here. Oh, that's that's hard to believe. Drew that's Dowler crazy. was physically present. He was in this here room a second like, ago, like thirty seconds ago. Um, but yeah, welcome everybody. Good to see you all. We have a couple announcements up top before we get in yeah. to the program. Kevin, good to have you back. We had a little dose of chaos with Stan last week, and um, you feel comfortingly stable by comparison. I'm like an old warm sweater. Y- yeah. In so many ways. So, um, <laughs> old, warm. The first adjective is correct. Sweater. So, a couple things coming up. One is that this is the final kind of regular week of this series, which I hope you guys have enjoyed. We've been going through Dan Kimball's book, How Not to Read the Bible. Still backordered all over the place, but highly recommend that you go and grab it. Um, it, pre-order it, get it on Kindle, whatever. You can get it on cbd.com, Christian book distributor. I think Amazon is still sold out. That's right, cbd.com, because I'm, I'm going to remember that by thinking they stole the market out from under CBD oil. And they're holding on, staying righteous. They're we ain't going to sell that domain. You can't have it. So yeah, so go pick up the, a copy of this book. We truly, we scratched the surface of each of these compared to the depth that Dan goes into, so I still highly recommend it. Um, and then next week, we're going to have a Q&A, which we typically do at the end of all the series we do. So this is the last week to get in those questions. So we've got next week where we'll just be taking any questions you have on the content of this series um, or just questions about the Bible in general. It's kind of a good opportunity because of the nature of the series. Yeah, like, we, got, we got a few. So send in some more, some send good in ones. Some. If there, even if it's just literally like, this story has always seemed weird to me. What's the deal with it? Which one of our questions was that? Was like that? Those are great questions for this series. Uh, uh, Kevin, I saw you Google it. Can you confirm my random knowledge about the history of Hello Darkness? I didn't hear your random knowledge. Okay. I what just said that it was written uh, in the dark in the bathroom. <laughs> did, did you really say that? I did. Or were you reading the Google page? That no, I, I really no, he said, said that. No, he said it before you Googled it. Is that true? 
It is true. Well, hey. Well, hey. If we go to the court of the internet. Yeah. Take oh. it to Google court. Now, here's the thing, though. Kevin, I said that, and then I asked you to Google it. It's true. That's the order of things right now. That's what happened. We need <laughs> stand. Already, we need stand. I was back. Googling it already, so I wasn't listening <laughs> okay, to you. Okay. You, know, you know what, though? Here's the thing. This is what I love about you, Isaac, is that you knew the origin story of that song, but you still haven't said its title correctly one time. No, I just say, Hello, Darkness, my old friend. <laughs> you called it Hello, Darkness. <laughs> yeah. Is it, no, it's called uh, And the People Bowed and Prayed, yeah, right. uh, Neon Lights. It's called The Dude from Disturbed singing yeah, that, that old song. Yeah, that the Disturbed uh, it's a cover good, of that. It's a pretty good cover. It is. And if you Google the one, this is like Bro Rock Extreme, which neither of us enjoy. This is the hidden ways of the Bro Rock. It's, it's the secret sauce. There's a version that you can find on YouTube, which is the dude from Disturbed singing it with the dude from another super bro rock. It's bit. the actual new singer from Creed. Oh. After Scott left the original Creed, the new Alter dude Bridge. came in. I don't know why from I know Alter that. Bridge and filled in that role. And it's them singing it, and it's good. That man. dude from Alter Bridge, sleeves ripped off and everything. He's up there like with his microphone. He's singing the high harmony over. Yep, the dude from Disturbed, and in a full chest voice the yeah, whole it's time. It's no joke. So, so uh, anyway, that's our that's our bro rock uh, video from five years that's ago. About breakdown. it for theology Thursday. Call Thanks for joining today. us, you Thanks guys. For joining us, man. Ryan says, by the way, obviously Sam is Garfunkel, Isaac is Simon. Mm. Um, so okay, so Q and A next week. We want questions, um, and then the oh, the other thing is uh, our next series. We're ready to announce. We don't have a title yet, but it's going to be. A Are we series. taking a break? Or are we going straight to it? We're going straight to it. Wonderful. Well, I'm going straight to it. <laughs> Sounds like I need to confirm that you'll be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, we're going to go straight into it and then we're going to do another five or six week series and then we'll jump in. Um, we'll jump into a break after that. So in this next series is going to be all about and kind of, you know, as, as church life begins to be sort of reestablished gradually over the next couple of months, we thought we would do a series on various theological issues related to the church and ecclesiology. So we'll be talking about things like ecclesiology proper, what is the church, how is the church supposed to function, um, things like the sacraments, baptism, mm -hmm. communion, and other stuff related to that. So that's what's coming next after the Q&A episode. Anything else I forgot, announcement-wise? No, I think that's it. The Obsessive gardeners here, putting his signature chili pepper in his comment. Welcome, welcome, brother. Good to see you. Um, all right, so let's jump into tonight. This is the final topic of the book. And it's interesting because it's, it's not so much about the Bible um, as it is kind of about philosophy and some of the general claims of the Bible. So we'll be in the text a little less today, probably. Um, but the question is, does the Bible teach religious intolerance? And, um, you know, it's a good point. It's a good question to ask because I think for most Christians, the idea that Jesus is the only way sounds very normal. And like you're used to Jesus is the only way. He's the way, the truth, the life, all this stuff. But if you take that outside of a Christian context, mm -hmm. and especially in an increasingly pluralistic society, an increasingly relativistic society, mm. it's a pretty strange and strong sounding claim to make. Don't you think to like the average non-religious person? Yeah, I mean, it's especially if you grew up in your whole your whole life in the church, if you were raised a Christian, then um, it's, it's completely, G Christianity is a Jesus-centric faith um, where our central figure is also God. Yeah, and is the one who we go to to worship and receive salvation, and so it's so Jesus centric that you just grow up, and all the songs are based around that, and so it's not shocking to hear Jesus is the only way. I mean, probably besides John three sixteen, I am the way, the truth, and the life is got to be top. Yeah, top for three. sure. 
And there's, I mean, I wrote down just a few of the examples. There's that one. There's in Paul in First Timothy saying there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. Yeah, that may be the, that's one of the stronger ones. Yeah, and that's a little bit more technical. But like it, the second you really think about it saying there's one God and there is one way for you to access one mediator, that, yeah. one mediator. Um, and a ton, a ton of those. Now, um, Jacob's got a great question, which is one of the first ones we're going to ask actually which is, uh, what do you mean by intolerant? And that's a really good question, which we'll get to in a second. Um, but yeah, the, so to your point, like you grow up Christian, those verses don't sound that weird. We have this idea of the narrow gate and the wide mm -hmm. gate. And, um, it's kind of, hey, this is how you access God. Um, but again, the more pluralistic our society becomes and the more you start to listen to the vo those voices, yeah. it's, it's just kind of presumed that it's hateful to be exclusive. Yeah, and probably one of the things we have to keep in mind too is the historical setting is important in that. Mm -hmm. Let's say you were raised Christian several hundred years ago in some small village. Everyone in your village likely has the same religious yeah. structure. So if it's Christian, everyone's Christian. So you're not aware of millions and millions of other people that don't share the same faith. And maybe you are aware of those, but you're not seeing the flesh and blood of those people. Yeah. It's not up close and personal. You don't go so, to work with 15 different faiths. Yeah, and so for the most office. part, you spend your life, you're in a Christian village, it's Christian. If, if you're in a Muslim community, it's Muslim. If you believe in this, whatever it may be. And so the majority of your experiences are all tied together in this shame, same collective kind of religious structure. And so you're just not confronted with those things. So now, as you said, we have all those other things. But then in addition to that, because of the internet, media, and technology, we are actually aware of the diversity in a way yeah. that just, frankly speaking, was unheard of. And in the modern world, it has become, I would say, a moral value to kind of celebrate broad differences and kind of being open to everything yeah. and that anytime you sort of prefer one thing over the other, that's sort of considered to be hateful. I mean, I think it's, I'm going to butcher it cause I didn't look it up, but Don Carson, DA Carson wrote a book called the gagging of God, mm -hmm. very giant, awesome book about kind of this subject. And one of the things he says is he says in the modern Western world, there's no such thing as a heresy except for the idea that there's a heresy. Yeah. Meaning like, the only thing that this society considers to be out of bounds is saying that someone else's beliefs are out of bounds. Mm. Um, and so I think that's, there's definitely a lot of truth to that. And um, yeah, so, so again, the kind of questions that come up are, is it hateful to be exclusive? Is it intolerant to say there's only one way to God? Um, don't all religions teach basically the same kind of stuff anyway at the end of the day? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, you know, like you said, we now know, man, we live in a world with over 7 billion people and they've got hundreds if yeah. not more and, and kind of the the hyper individualistic culture of the west shapes that as well so um there's there's portions in the world where let's say the tribal chief converts his religion the whole tribe then converts as well it's much more communal and there's kind of a representative that stands in place for the and i'm not saying like every last person truly believed what right. the chief believed but it's just like oh our chief now worships this god so now we all do too. There's a, a historical record. I forget the exact king's name, but in Russia one time, basically the king converted hundreds oh, yeah, of years ago. Yeah. And then basically the next day, the like nation Russia's wakes Christian up and it's now. like, we're all Christian. Uh, also in church history early on, there was a time where the emperor of Rome switched to believing in Arianism from Trinitarianism. And it was like some of the, the quotes from that time was like, well, everyone the next day just sort of You're all Arian now. And so... In, a, in, in our culture, like, 
if you don't like those above you, you don't have to not only like them, you don't have to believe what they believe. You can even talk bad behind their back type yeah. of thing. But in many cultures, there's such a, an esteem and respect and authority placed on those who are above you that if they were to change belief, well, then be, there'd be significant social pressure for you to do as well. And so it's like, hey, the whole nation is, we're Christian now. And that's, that's, that's all good where uh, what we're experiencing now because of hyper-individualism, technology, media, internet, all of that, we're just in a fundamentally different world. Yeah, and that's taken on, again, a, I think a moral dimension where to kind of question like anybody's right and prerogative to choose for themselves what they think is, yeah. is considered wrong. Which and, and maybe that's a good way to transition into Jacob's question, which is what do you mean by intolerant? Yeah. Um, because part of the issue is what, what do you think? What do, the person making the question, you know, is does the Bible teach religious intolerance? Defining what that means is really important because the word tolerance and the word intolerance get thrown around a lot for yeah. the last 20 or so years in our culture. Sort of like the word literally. Yes. Everyone uses it all the time and we accept it, but no one really no. uses it appropriately. Yeah. I've literally said that millions of times. <laughs> I, I mean, you literally understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, so here's the kind of short version, and I, I'm interested in your reaction to this too, Isaac, is that at some point, intolerance, or it's, let's, let's use the positive, tolerance became synonymous with wholesale agreement or acceptance. Mm -hmm. um, but that's straight up just not what that word means, right? I mean, like, to tolerate something. He, let's do an experiment on this. Because the dic dictionaries change with time. I'd be curious. Go to dictionary.com, Kevin, and read the definition of what they now list as yeah, tolerance. Yeah, good idea. Because what tolerance used to mean is that two people could disagree with each other, and they maintained the disagreement, but did not... The extreme would be they didn't want to kill each other. Yeah. The more lighter version of it would be they didn't do any harm to one another. Yeah, if I was going, if I was going to define tolerate to tolerate as a verb, I would say to allow to exist. That's a really oversimplified well, and version. And I probably say without causing some type of harm. Or yeah, something to like allow that. to exist without interference, maybe or something. Yeah, in like, the simplest way, it's like okay, we agree to disagree. Let's go our different yeah. paths. And I'm not going to kill you over it. All right, let's see what it say. Okay, I'm going to have to read this. Yeah, it just says, read it. a fair, objective, and permissive attitude toward those whose opinions, beliefs, practices, racial or ethnic origins, etc., differ from one's own. That's and it continues, freedom from bigotry, a fair, objective, and permissive attitude toward opinions, beliefs, and practices that differ from one's own. The first one, I mean, all of that, I would yeah. say if you take it, at its face value yeah. and don't overinterpret yeah. what any of those sets of words yeah, mean. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree with all of that because the whole idea is you are being allowed, you're being left alone to disagree. So you can have a different set of beliefs than me and I'm not going to interfere with you. I'm not going to mm -hmm. beat you up over it. I'm not going to, and it says freedom from, from bigotry, which is great. Meaning I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to like penalize you in some yeah. way because you believe differently than me or mistreat you. Um, but, and but, that, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, like when I tolerate something that's bugging me, like if I'm tolerating my child being crazy. Yeah, you're setting up me up for a good joke right oh here. Oh, boy. <laughs> Is it going to be about me or Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> I know the answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean? It's like it doesn't mean I'm, like, super happy that my kid's being irritating. It just means I'm not. I'm, I'm deciding that I'm not going to punish her over this. And, I'm, and we, we may touch on this more, but the very idea 
that tolerance is even considered a virtue in our culture mm, is because yeah. Christianity taught the world that tolerance was a virtue. And not just tolerance, but the Christian ethic found in the Sermon on the Mount is even more if we disagree. Let's say we have an enemy, an enemy who wants to do us harm. Right. The Christian answer is not just to tolerate, but to pray and to bless that person. So the, Christ, the, the teachings of Jesus found in the Sermon on the Mount have so shaped us that now, I mean, back in the day, if someone is, if you disagree with me, why shouldn't I put you into submission? Why yeah. shouldn't this people group go over here and conquer this people? That's group? what people have always done for all and of human history. You war with another nation, they're wrong, and you better start worshiping our gods and get with it. And Christians haven't always been perfect at displaying the ethic of the Sermon on the Mount, but this, the standard and the ideal is set there. We not only tolerate, we bless and love people who hate us. Yeah. And so and that, not, that has and been instilled in culture. And people who persecute you, meaning if you're not being, yeah. to, if, if you're a Christian and you are not being tolerated, you are called by Jesus in the New Testament to actually sacrificially love the yeah. people who are being actually intolerant towards you. And again, that's not to say that Christian, you, you just said this, but to reiterate, that's not to say that Christians do this well, but no. if the question is, does the Bible teach intolerance? The answer just on the surface, I mean, we could end the episode here, but we have other stuff to say. The answer on the surface is no. It goes beyond it's it. the opposite. It says, even when you're not being tolerated, you don't just tolerate them, you love yeah. them. But part of the issue rests in that any ethic, even if it's good, it can be distorted in such a way that the ethic still appears externally on the surface to be the same, but it's been significantly warped. Mm. So you can take something like tolerance and make what we'll call the dark side version of it. An example of this would be um, maybe a, a more common example that, that isn't controversial would be something like codependency. Mm. So someone could be so forgiving and so giving into someone that they're actually enabling right. someone else to to do harm yeah. to them and to others. Um, and if you've spent any time in the counseling world, you know the term codependency. And so is it good to be forgiving and to provide and help people in need? Absolutely. But there's a distorted kind of dark side version of that, that actually in the appearance of doing good is doing harm. Yeah. And if you, if you were to use all the same language, it'd be like, well, do, should you tolerate a family member that's stealing from you to buy drugs repeatedly over and yeah. over again? Should you tolerate somebody who's abusing you mm -hmm. mentally or physically or whatever. Like, and, and so, and this, this actually leads into the next point I wanted to make, which is that there are many places in our life where, um, we accept, we expect and accept things that are exclusive and one way types of things. There's tons of stuff that there's just one way to do it. And mm -hmm. that's not, that could be neutral. It could be often good, but it's sort of like it's, it's either right or it's wrong. And you just kind of, we just naturally do mm. and go towards the one right way to do something. So as things as dumb and simple as like a door that you push or pull to come through, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like there's a right way and a wrong way to open that. And it's not intolerant of pulling if it's a door that you push. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think the sort of, I guess the point I'm trying to make with that is that exclusivity in and of itself doesn't have that automatically bad moral dimension. No, I mean, I mean, a, a cheesy example would be, you know, you have a sickness and objectively there's medicine that's good. You don't want to be like, well, all the medicines are, right. are equally good at helping me. No, there is some objective value behind that. Now, where the rub comes in is making claims about what we'd call the physical objective world 
some would say that morals and ethics and religion exist in some other type of subjective realm. Right. But the, 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 to your point, the idea of objectivity and there being a right or wrong is not inherently wrong. The question is what things fall into those categories. Yeah. And the Christian claim, of course, would be that to oversimplify would either the claims of Jesus are true or they're not. Right. Just like either this is a good medicine or bad. And so that's why, and we can talk about this in a little bit, but um, that's why it's, I would, for me personally, I'd rather just have you tell me you're wrong. Right. Jesus was wrong. He was crazy. Did it, then, then take this sort of arrogant position where you look down on me and tell me that my religious faith actually isn't saying what it says, even yeah. though you've never read it, you haven't spent your life studying it. You know that, that Jesus it's actually the same yes. as all these it's other, all, it's the same. And as maybe everything. we can move into that now. I mean, I, I think it's important to say, um, just for the sake of, of fairness and honesty that like Christianity is not remotely the only religion or belief system that claims to be that makes objective claims or exclusive claims even yeah. that say, this is actually the only yeah. right way to approach God. I mean, that's, that's more common than not. Yeah. And there are tons of really flexible belief systems like Buddhism that you could approach in a variety of ways. Um, but a lot, there's a ton of religions that say like, no, those ones are wrong and we're right. I mean, it's a very normal part of kind of making truth claims about the nature of existence. Yeah. It's the, the majority universe. of hu human beings. Um, so the vast, I mean, there's Christians who don't believe in ex ex the exclusivity claims right. of Jesus, but the majority of Christians do. Um, the majority of Muslims believe in objective truth and the, the kind of unique person of Allah among every, everyone else. And so um, we all believe in exclusivity. But it's people who don't believe our faith. It's the person who hasn't read the Quran. It's the person who hasn't read the Bible, who then kind of, again, like I said, in a parental way, comes and says, oh, no, don't you guys know yeah. that we're all basically saying the same things? Where for the Christians and Muslims who have discussed their faith for hundreds of years go, we're not saying the same thing. All you have to do is go to a place in the world where, let's say you have... Um, a mixed culture of Muslims and Christians. And yeah. I can guarantee you somewhere in that village, that town, that city, there's a group of men arguing about the Trinity. Right. And talking about the difference that Christianity yeah. believe the Trinity and Islam. We do not believe the yeah. Trinity or the nature of Jesus. The was nature he of God Jesus. Or was he not? And there are real debates to be had, but both of those people are working off of the premise that either you're right and I'm wrong or vice versa. None of them are going, well, it kind of doesn't matter. We're both saying the same thing. Yeah. It's very rare unless you embrace versions of either faith that are so far removed from orthodoxy that they've become much more of kind of like an open new age belief system with kind of Christian clothes on, which we did an episode on that type of progressive Christianity at some point in the past. I don't even remember what it's called. Um, but yeah, that kind of, so yeah, let's talk about that. So I, I agree with you that to, to flatten all religions and say they're basically all teaching the same thing is at best ignorant, like literally yeah. ignorant, like you just don't know what you're talking about. And at worst, condescending and insulting to just sort of be like, like you said, oh no, that's not, if you really understand the deep mystical truths, all real mystics understand that. Yeah. Um, but if you actually push into the belief systems of any religion, you find things that are completely incompatible with the other ones. And, and a lot of the time you'll see like memes and stuff um, on the internet that will kind of make much of things that you can find that dovetail with each other from different yeah. religions. So you'll be like, look at all these different religious teachers who taught the golden rule. Yeah. Why do we have to argue 
when Buddha said something like that and Jesus said something like that and all, you know what I mean? Yeah. um, And so you can through like selectivity find stuff that makes it seem like, Hey, and would they all agree in all of these areas? Yeah. But man, if you start to really ask deep theological questions about the nature of God, the nature of existence, the nature of humanity, the goal of human life and existence. Okay. And even, even the idea that the teachings are the same is precipitated on an assumption that modern Westerners hold. And let me explain that. When I was little, um, there'd be these government commercial government, like sponsored commercials that would like try to get you to be good in school. And it'd be, uh, knowledge is power. Oh yeah. It's like education power. Knowledge is power. And, uh, I remember listening to a very prominent politician like a decade ago, making a significant speech. And the climax of the speech was, and we know that there's one thing that can change the world. And I'm, I was going, is she going to drop like the Jesus, Jesus bomb? Yeah. Like, and it was like knowledge, Oof. education, education can change the world. Okay. So in our culture, we value education to such a degree that we would say, if all these religions are teaching the similar stuff, so if Jesus is saying the same things as this teacher, well, then they're basically the same. But that's, that is missing the central claim of Christianity. The central claim of Christianity is not that Jesus had anything unique to say, right. even though I believe he did. The central claim of Christianity is that it's unique in that he was God who historically entered right. into our history and then specifically died on a cross and resurrected. That's why the early creeds say he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. So they're grounded in history. Yeah. So let's say they, we stake, all, they actually stake the claim on historical fact that you could go and check at the yes. time. So the, the point is, is that even though I do think they're significant in teachings, that is built upon a, a presupposition that says religion is primarily about what it teaches, but right. that's based upon our own cultural value of knowledge and education is everything. Well, for the Christians, again, it's the story. The gospel is the announcement of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Even if Jesus, just thinking of this right now, the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, most likely the first gospel written, has very little of Jesus' teaching. Right. It's mostly his actions. You get more teaching specifically in, in Matthew, Luke, and John, but Mark is 60, short book, yeah. Mostly. And how Jesus. does it start, by the way? Because verse one is literally the yeah. gospel. It's like, this is, this is the beginning of the gospel. Let and me it, tell you the announcement of what just happened. And it tells Jesus's actions. It's concerned about what he's doing as a historical figure, his life, his death, his resurrection. So let's say, for instance, you're in the early church and all you had access to was the gospel of Mark. You might actually not have a majority of his teachings. Now, these teachings were circulating so you'd hear them, but your sacred texts about the, the life of Jesus would be primarily built upon his life, death, and resurrection. Yeah, and Paul will later go on, well not, not even later, because some of this stuff's happening concurrently, but like Paul will, again, kind of stake the claims he's making on actual history. So it's not really so much about, I really need you to affirm these ideas. It's like, like one that I, that I put in my notes here in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, famously, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. Yeah. So, so he's saying, Look, we are saying that Jesus was actually raised from the dead. And if he hasn't been, if it didn't, yeah. if this, it's not if we're wrong about this idea, it's if that didn't actually happen, he says, our preaching is in yeah. vain and your faith is in vain. So it's, it's the whole thing is grounded. We're putting all of our money on something 
happened. A story. And if it didn't happen, I mean, Paul in another place says, if, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, everybody should feel sorry for us for this ridiculous stuff. Pitied. Yeah, and just before that in 1 Corinthians 15 is, is where Paul says, I'm handing to you what is of utmost importance. It's been handed to me. And this is the closest thing we have to a gospel definition. Yeah. So I'm handing over to you what is that which is of utmost importance. This is the thing that's most important. And then he doesn't say, Remember Jesus said to love your enemies. Remember right. Jesus said to love... Although, I mean, that's important. Absolutely. Remember Jesus said, um, don't even look at a woman with lust in your eyes. Remember that Jesus said, don't let your left hand see what your right hand is. Like, Remember all that. That's important. But what he says is, what is of critical importance, what's being passed down, is that Christ died according to the scriptures and was... Re- was buried. Was buried and was raised the third day according and, to and the all scripture. of the christian kind of beliefs that are intellectual or faith-based are subsidiary to that literally meaning like you like you start with an affirmation of a historical fact and then if that's true well then now we need to obey what this guy said to do yeah so if maybe. he's raised from the dead he's the messiah and the king and if he is that then we do to the best of our abilities what he said i mean the the part of the great commission that gets ignored all the time is go unto all the world make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I've commanded. Mm-hmm. So there's sort of this sense in which it's like you you obey him, not because that's what the religion is, but because he is yeah. the resurrected king. And theologically, the Christian faith has the idea that you can't actually completely live out the teachings, of the ethical teachings of Jesus, unless you have his spirit, because in your own power, you won't want to do it. And fair enough, like, who wants to love their enemies? Right. Who wants to do that? And so the, the Christian teaching is that your your human nature doesn't want to do these difficult things, but through regeneration, his spirit inside of you, you are more and more likely to initiate the teachings of Jesus in your life. Yeah, but it's almost like they follow from yeah, rather than precede what your faith is. So yeah. to be a Christian is to follow a resurrected king, and yeah. following him means... This is, these are the marching orders that yeah. I'm trying to follow, but it's, it's not in following them that you become a Christian in some sense. It's yeah, you get married, and then you, in that ceremony, you're pledging your faithfulness to behave in a certain manner. Yeah. So there's a covenant, there's a relationship that's made, and then subsequ- subsequent to that, then there's behavioral changes that you're basically committing to for the rest of your life. But it's not like you commit to those rest of the, for, the, for, for your whole life, and then after you've showed yourself worthy for 25 years, yeah. then the marriage is initiated. And that really, I mean, everything we're saying right now, I hope people understand the, like, the true uniqueness of some of this, that it's not, I mean, there are like infinite past mythic, elements to the beginning of the Christian story, but the core claims of the Christian story are incredibly concretely grounded in history. And the people who are writing in the first century are like, there's people around, go ask them. Yeah. And C.S. Lewis talked about, he said, look, I know, I know about myths. I know about myths, but when you read the gospels, they're not reading as if they're myths. They are historical documents. They're they're for the genres, they're first century biographies. They're first century biographies about the life of Jesus. And you can tell just by reading them. Yeah. And, and then you add on to that. Actually, I feel like we should acknowledge that Ryan says we're competing with Kirk Cameron live on Facebook right now. Mine. You know, you've, your very typing of that, Ryan, lets me know that you have chosen the better portion. Yeah. Or he's got both. Or he's got both of them open and we're muted. Kevin now. used to like that show, Growing Pains. How do you, how do you feel about Growing Pains? You know, Kevin? he knew about Mike Seaver. 
I actually didn't watch a whole lot of Growing Pains. Oh, come on. You know you loved it. You're more of a Mr. Belvedere type of dude, huh? I've never seen a single second. He, of Kevin Kersenay loved himself some Mr. <laughs> Belvedere. He loved Did you that. watch that on Nick everywhere at Night? Or what? You look, oh, that's everywhere you look, You know that song, Kevin, too. That's a jam. Did you watch that? Man, Growing Pains? I mean, what? is that like Nick at Night when you're a kid? Because by the time I'm I, watching Nick I at took Night, a, it's... I took a film history course in <laughs> community college. That's how I know about what Kevin watched. Oh, man. Took a took an ancient history of filmography. So uh, yep. before we move on from this section, the, the other thing that I think is really important here, and this point gets made quite a bit, so if you've been a Christian a while, you've probably heard some version of this, is that, so Jesus, as we've been saying, is this historical figure who does these things that are rooted in history, and all the claims about them are like, they either happened or they didn't, and if they didn't, don't bother with this religion. And, and on top of that, the claims that Jesus makes about himself are fundamentally different from the vast majority of claims made by other leaders of major religions. And so yeah. you've heard those version, those different versions of things that say like, you know, um, you know, Muhammad said that I have come, the truth has been revealed to me. Yeah. And you know, the, the Hindu Vedas say that I, I have access to the truth or I can help you find the truth. And then, and Jesus of course famously says, I am the truth. So there's something fundamental. It's not, he's not this Gnostic version of Jesus that comes to give you ideas or to give you the knowledge that you need. He comes to do something because he's actually truth yeah. embodied. And all the teachings flow from that. And they, so here our point, they are important and you should commit to obeying the teachings of Jesus, but they flow out of the historical reality of the incarnation and the ontological reality of his existence. Yeah, of who, who he actually is and what he is. So that's, I think that's helpful. I mean, and again, just to, to put a button on the other thing we said that just, I, I want to encourage you to really second guess anything you hear that are claims kind of of, you know, well, all religions basically teach the same thing. Start asking actual, meaningful theological questions and you'll find like Hinduism, Islam, Christianity do not teach the same things about the nature of God. Like theology no, even, proper. even within the broad branch like of Christianity as a whole, if you have Eastern Orthodox, Catholics, Protestants, even we don't agree on everything. Yeah. And if you get us together and talk about it, we should tolerate each other's and agree to disagree. But if we're honest, we're going, oh man, I don't, I'm not, yeah, I this don't stuff's do whack. We're not going to do that. And even if you just take the monotheistic religion, so you say Judaism in the modern world, mm -hmm. all the different versions of that compared to Christianity, compared to Islam, radically different understandings of just the identity and nature of God, which is just one theological question. Yeah. And, and so, so say, let's say someone says, Oh, they're pretty much saying the same things go really has you, have you ever seen an, a devout Christian, a devout everyday church attending Christian and a devout Muslim talk about the differences in their faith? Cause you should try that because you'll find out they don't sound like what you're saying. Yeah. They actually really do have some major differences. Yeah, and Dan talks about that in the book about how, you know, there's this metaphor of, well, it's a, it's, you know, there's a mountain with God at the top and all of these religions are just different paths to the top of the same mountain. And the point Dan makes, he makes it, you know, with a lot more detail than this, but he's basically saying, look at what the religions actually teach and prescribe and you'll see it's different paths of different mountains with different goals, different gods at the top. Yeah. And so it's, you know, again, it's questions of things like, what is the nature of God? What is the nature of Jesus? What's the nature of human beings? The purpose of existence? What are we all headed towards? What yeah. is there an afterlife? And if so, what is it like? And these are not minute, like unimportant details. These are like the central 
things that make up what mm-hmm. a belief system is. And they're just mostly not compatible. So the respectful thing, I think, is to say, no, they're dramatically different and they just straight up can't all be right. Yeah. So I'm not even going to go, you know, as arrogantly as just saying, well, and obviously Christianity is true. So, and, you know, you must be dumb if you think something else. The point is just you got to examine the truth claims and make a decision at yeah. a certain point. And you can't just kind of smugly sit above all of them and say, well, you know, I'm, I kind of have an, a mixture of all of these. Yeah. And it's things. also intellectually lazy as well. So you have not truly read the sacred books of these religious faiths. You haven't, um, you haven't. And uh, trust me, so many people I've, and maybe you have, if you're watching, if you're one of those people and you say, no, I have good for you, but I've ran into so Dude, many people who just say exactly that about the Bible. Say. Yeah. And then you ask them like the most simple question about the Bible. And they clear they haven't read the they have not read the Bible, right. and they haven't read the Quran. They haven't read the other the, the other sacred text. And dude, I feel like it's really normal for people to say something like, "No, I you know I examined all of the major faiths, yeah. and I like read I've read their scripture." Like just kind of just say that, and it's almost like people actually believe that's true. Now here, here's a test you could say, because um, there's many sacred texts in the Hindu faith, and the. the when we say the Hindu faith, that is broad. There's, it's huge. Yeah. And there's different, I mean, there's world of diversity in that and there's different sacred texts. But one of the things you say, you've really, you've really read some of the sacred text of, of the Hindu faith. Can you name one? Can you name one sacred text? They're just going to say Bhagavad Gita. If I, they know their I, stuff. And I don't even think you'd get that. <laughs> no, that's true. And, and the truth is like, if you're honest and you've actually read some of that stuff, it is incredibly difficult. Yes, yeah, very difficult. It's hard to understand. It's hard to follow. That's true of, I mean, that's true of the, Bible, true of the Bible if you're not, if you're coming at it fresh. So it's, it's true of all of them. And I just think there's, again, there's a, a you get out of Genesis and halfway through Exodus, fair enough. But then you start getting into some, some difficult. When they start stuff. talking about building the tabernacle, that's, you're in trouble. that's difficult. You know, Kevin, I kind of said, you probably watched Mr. Belvedere. You were probably more of a welcome back Cotter guy, huh? Let's be I honest. I did watch some, yeah. Welcome back Cotter. <laughs> You know, um, that's obsessive old, gardener that's says old. I loved it, and I feel like the timing means he loved growing pains. Either that, or uh, Mr. Belvedere, or um, I don't even know what Mr. Belvedere. I literally, dude, don't you know, know what I don't know what that see, is. See, I got all kinds of these old old <laughs> shows. Kevin knows that Chanel, Chanel, something, something. The, the, you know what I'm talking about? That's Laverne and Shirley. Yeah, see, I know that one. And you, you destroyed that song. I did can it. I get, did good enough for you to know what it was. Kevin, Mike. can you give us like a better version of the Laverne and Shirley song, real quick? The Shlemiel Shlemazel. Is that what it was? Austin Pfeffer Incorporated. Dang, I don't <laughs> know. They work at a beer plant. Really? But Haas yeah. and Pfeffer is rabbit stew. Not in that beer. <laughs> in Narnia, maybe I guess. <laughs> Or in Bugs Bunny, which is where I heard the word okay. Austin Pfeffer for the first time. Either I way, I, I knew I had to go Bunny. back. I knew he was a welcome back Cotter guy. See, my era is like, I watch, I've seen every single episode. Power Rangers. Of Fresh, uh, Power Rangers, <laughs> I barely. Fresh Prince. Fresh Prince was huge. Home Improvement was huge. Yeah. Um, trying to think what else. That I mean, Fresh Prince was my thing. Like in the like afternoon at home, yeah. psh, Fresh Prince. Although to be fair, they were already reruns. Like I was watching Fresh Prince after it was over. Yeah, you had to watch them reruns like on TBS or something. Yeah, exactly. Like that. TBS every day. There's two in a row. Uh, so hey, give us a like and then chime in with your favorite sitcom, so that we can take favorite a guess. old school TV show. 
We need, cause we're going to make, we won't do this out loud, but we want to be able to make guesses about what generation you're from based on what your favorite sitcom was. Kevin, what's your favorite sitcom? Don't let Isaac tell you what your favorite sitcom was. What was your favorite sitcom? I just want to warn people that when you actually put that in the feed, you are opening yourself up to something. That's true. Uh, Kevin, like perfect strangers. <laughs> Touched by an no. angel. That's Hated not a sitcom, that. is it? He liked Little House on the Prairie. I watched Little I, House on the Prairie. I watched Little House on the Prairie. He cried when clean. Michael Landon passed away because he was like that true life angel that you grew up with. <laughs> that's... <laughs> See, that's, that's some deep series. knowledge for me. How that's do I? I shouldn't even be knowing about that. No, you shouldn't. That's okay. like you knowing the sound of silence, but not what it's called. Oh, uh, Zakia. <laughs> so I watched a ton oh, of different Zakia. strokes. Zakia watched strokes, uh, different strokes. That was the jam, dude. They had obsessive gardener like growing pains. Different strokes was super good. It was. I, it I didn't was watch good. that either. I was a homeschooler, and I'm a little bit younger than you. Like I feel like I just kind of. Shh. Yeah, you only had TV you didn't have TV. You only had Channel Three. That's true. Or it was nine and eleven. I think were yeah, the two PBS channels. Yeah, PBS and Channel. Okay. All right, we got to This is you this, keep putting the stuff on the thing. I want to know about the TV this shows. This has been but. too too far of a digression. All right, so um, there's ba there's really kind of one place where we want to land, and we might actually even finish up a little bit early tonight. Um, that '70s show for Yanos. Okay, younger dude coming in. Mom said Gilligan's Island. Dina liked Perfect Strangers. Obsessive likes Fresh Prince. Alice Chase likes Seinfeld. My dad loves Seinfeld. You did, you did too, right? I did because my dad okay. showed it to us. I, like, could, I could watch Seinfeld like the whole thing and not even get a smirk. I'm yeah. just going, whoever's laughing at this. This I is did. actually good inside info about you. So Isaac doesn't think almost anything that most people think is funny is funny. That was a really convoluted sentence. Yeah, but my point but is mostly like, true. Most of the stuff that people think is funny, you don't find very much of it funny. No, people be cracking up around me. And I'm just looking. Everyone's crazy. <laughs> family Matters. That I watch Family Matters a lot. Yeah, so Family Matters was a part of something called TGIF. That's what Obsessive Gardener said. Did he say TGIF? He did. He set it up in the feed. Oh, I, I missed it. And uh, it was Full House family matters and then there was different eras Full at house. some point the, at very early there was perfect strangers but what came on at the 9 30 slot because i guess supposedly was edgy was a show called step by step step by step yep i remember that one remember that theme song that's kevin's cracking <laughs> oh, up and we just seeing the theme song <laughs> i want to start hearing theme stones i you, okay, okay so we're staying we, focused we have got to get back on track but i appreciate everybody's submissions for favorite nobody's going to come in and own up to i love lucy or something and yet we'll see um, okay, so this is kind of where I want to land, and I, th I think it's it's important to make this point because I don't, I really don't want it to come across like we're being defensive about Christianity and its exclusivity. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, if you take everything we've said so far and put it together, th at the end of the day, man, if something is true, then yeah. for it to be exclusive is not bad. It's the the kind of exclusivity is sort of secondary. It's like is it is it true or not? And the Christian claim this is an important distinction, is not just, it's not so much that there's one way for us to get to God, it's that God chose a particular way to save us. Yeah. So it's less about there's only one way for you to get up the mountain, it's God came for humanity and he did it in one particular way. Yeah, the Joshua Ryan Butler who wrote two really incredible books, um, his example is you take that mountain thing, oh, there's, there's tons of roads that lead up the mountain. And he goes, yeah, there might be tons of roads that lead up to that mountain, maybe. But the truth that the, what Christianity believes is that God was at the top of the mountain and he came down because no human being could ever climb that yeah. mountain. Yeah. And, th and that's, that's the key is it's like, it's not so much that, hey, we, you know, 
God only provided one way for you to be saved. The point is he saved you and this is how he did it. Yeah. And that's a very different kind of thing because it's not, it's, it's less about who's right and who's wrong and more just like God came for you. Yeah. So first you have the issue of object objectivity is that either these claims are true or not, whether they're inclusive or inclusive is, is secondary to the point of their their truthfulness. Right. But then on top of that, what we have to realize is that everyone is constantly making exclusive claims. Yes. All the major world religions are. And even if you're saying not my not my religious system, uh, we accept everybody and we believe all all religious systems are equally valid. That is a truth claim that says my truth claim is wrong because right. I don't believe all claims right. are Your, true. That it that negates or excludes every other religious system that says there's only one way, which is Everyone again is, not just yeah. Christianity. And so it's everybody's exclusive. Everyone's um, making these truth claims. Every but what and here's the sinister thing: what the modern world has done is they've invented versions of these that sound as if they are not making exclusive claims. They sound as if they are extremely tolerant and accepting. And in reality, they're doing the same thing everyone else is, but they're just not owning up to it. Right. Um, there was there's an old picture that used to, to be taught to people. And some of you might remember it, but it's a, it's a picture. Um, it's, it's like a, a, a parable. It's a picture of an elephant. Mm. And there's like the, the way that the parable goes is there's, there's six blind men around the elephant and one, one blind man touches the, the trunk of, of the elephant. And yeah. he thinks he's touching. He says, Oh, this is an elephant. They're all saying this is an elephant. No, no. They're all saying, they're saying, well, this is what an elephant is like. Yes, they're saying an elephant is like a tree. They touch the leg and, and they say touch it's like the a tree. leg and it's like a tree. And then one touches the the tail and he's like, "Oh, elephant is like rope." Yeah. One um, touches the side and says an elephant is like a great boulder. Yes. And so all these people who are blind are just they're, they're interacting with the same truth and the idea is that we're all interacting with the the same spiritual reality. We're all interacting with it. We're just experiencing it from different angles and different cultures. So one person feels a rope on the elephant, one person feels the the trunk, it's like a tree, one person feels the the horn and it's like a a knife that can stab you. Yeah. Now, the way that works is that, see, all the blind men are touching some part of this spiritual truth, but we know that in reality, there is actually a whole elephant there. And in the story, it's like this, the great Raja or something comes out and looks at them and basically tells them, you're all touching yeah. the same. Yeah. And the problem with this though, is the people who do it, they mean well, but it's actually, again, committing this, this act of arrogance in that, if you say that to the people who believe these different world religions, you are presupposing you're not blind. You have an objective view of that elephant, but all these religious people, they're actually yeah. blind and they're just experiencing some small portion of right. the spiritual so reality. I can see all of spiritual reality, but every yeah. Christian and every Muslim and every Hindu and everybody else, are they're all blind men. They have a, a fraction of the objective knowledge that I obtain freely with my eyes, which yeah. are truly open. Yeah, and it's arrogant. And meanwhile, in Christianity, the truth, we believe that even the knowledge we have comes as a gift of revelation. That it's like humans don't figure out how to get to God. It's not going to happen. He has to reveal himself. You know, I have a, um, a quote here from, from the actual book, from Dan's book, that I figured we could end on that um, relates to a lot of this. And again, I, just, I, I think when it comes down to this stuff, you just you want to stand by the truth claim and say, look, either it's true or it's not. And I've always thought that, man, the worst thing you could do with Christianity is dabble with it forever. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like either it's not true and you really don't need to worry about it, 
or it's true and it has to change everything. Um, by the way, the obsessive gardener really wanted to go out of his way to correct you for having said horn when you meant it's tusk. It's a tusk. <laughs> yeah, he's the, uh, he's the obsessive ele- elephantologist, I guess. There's no way that's what it is. All right, so let me read this quote from, from Dan's book, and I think it's a really good metaphor to kind of sum up a lot of what we've been saying. He says, consider this. If there is one key to my home, a place where I am cared for and loved by my family, it isn't intolerant for me to say that there's only one key. There are not many different keys. There's just the one. God made Jesus to be the one key we need to know him, and that has been his consistent position for thousands of years. That's not being intolerant. It's simply letting the world know that if they want to come into God's home, they will need to have the right key, Jesus. And I think that's a really helpful metaphor. It's sort of like if there's if your door's locked and there's only one key, that's not intolerant. It's just the truth. Mm-hmm. This is the one key, and it's available to you, but it's the only way to get in. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just think, again, it's for Christians to, to not feel defensive about that, to realize um, exclusivity is not something unique to Christianity. And if it's true, and the story of Christianity is true about God's mercy and grace and seeking out of sinful, lost mm-hmm. people, um, then it's not intolerant and it's not hateful. It's the opposite of that. This is the story of how the way in which God chose to come and save rebellious people. Yep. And true tolerance is described in the scriptures and taught by Jesus it's you can disagree with someone and still pray for them and bless them. And even more than that, even if that person hates you and wants to do you harm, you still bless them and pray for yeah. them. Yeah, pray for them, love and them. And you know what? If our world could do that, we'd be in a lot better of a place. We really would. And, and honestly, that maybe should be the last takeaway here is if you are a Christian, remember, it's not enough to be tolerant of other people who are different than you or who disagree with you. Um, the call of Christianity is you sacrificially love those people. Um, and, and man, that, that's a game changer. And you have to remember, no matter how dark it gets, everywhere you look, there's everywhere a hand you go. Oh. to hold on to. <laughs> there's a hand to hold on to. Right, Kevin? <laughs> when you're lost out there and you're all alone. Dude, can you finish the next line? No, no, this is not my era. That was the op- that's, that's Full House. I was oh, trying to make uh, the opening lyrics to Full House. I, no, I recognize okay. it as a theme song. I just can't finish it. I, again, I'm much more like... Like this is a story. It ends all with about a climactic how. lyric of <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, next week, Q and A. We want some questions, so send them in to me. And we'll <laughs> maybe instead of the theme song, we could have Isaac sing full voice with reckless abandon. Life is like a hurricane. Now it's a duck. Yeah, that's a theme song. Ducktails, they don't make them like they used to. We're out. Danger, hit the song. Behind you. Hit the song, yeah, Kevin. Yeah, let's get us out of here, please. Dude, it would be awesome if he had the Full House Jam. Oh my gosh! <laughs> How did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I had stored that a while ago. You stored the Ducktails theme song? I knew that you guys. Okay, would play it. it. Play, play it. it. This is out. I, We're out. Play us out on this. Night, everybody. Don't turn the live stream off. Though. We're gonna jam. The slot bass. Oh, this is Darkwing Duck. This is that demonic duck. Turn this off, man. I don't want to listen to this. I want Duck Tales. Oh, woo woo. Next week we'll have Duck Tales for you. Cut the stream.